Hello and welcome to Coast to Coast FC, the brand new Canadian soccer podcast focused on all things CPL, Canadian Championship and more. My name is Felipe Vallejo. And I'm Mike Rice. And on this podcast, we are going to recap the quarterfinals of the Canadian Championship that just happened this week. It's going to be a quick episode. We'll go into some of the facts and stats about each of the games. And at the end, we'll pick our highlight of the week for this round. Make sure to follow us on our new on our Twitter, Coast to Coast FC, and on Spotify so you know exactly when we upload. But without further delay, let's get straight into the games and let's start with the first one, which was Forge 1 Atletico 1, where Forge won 3 2 1 penalties. The goals in regular time were from Kyle Becker in the 66th, 66th minute and Ollie Bassett in the 87th minute off a pen. Uh, I didn't get to see much of this game, so I'm going to have to defer to you here, Mike. I did see some of the stats afterwards and the highlights. And I'll, I got to say, from what I saw of the highlights and what I saw of the stats, it kind of told two different games. The stats pointed to pretty much a domination from Forge with Ottawa barely ha- uh, holding on. But looking at the highlights, it did seem like Ottawa had some chances also to put one some away. So what did you think about this match? Yeah, definitely. It was a, it's another one where I think, I mean, I've been saying in the last couple of episodes, see the opening two episodes where you get those forged performances where they are in control, but they just don't look it <laughs> in some ways. It's, they just don't look quite as threatening as they should maybe, but um, they controlled the game through, yeah, through long periods, uh, I think. But like you say, I, sorry, we're uh, very dangerous on the wings. I thought this was one of the better games from um, Jean-Annie Alessi um, on the on the right wing there. He caused um, Ashton Morgan some real problems, uh, his pace getting in, uh, getting into the byline. And also Sacco on the other side. Um, they, they, they were getting high up the field in behind the fullbacks and getting crosses in and pullbacks in. Um, Sacco once had brought a, a great cross in for uh, Oli Bassett, who got a volley from the edge of the box, um, which uh, just missed the target. Uh, Asi down the right wing, um, did brilliantly to get a cross in for uh, Malcolm Shaw, fantastic header and an even better save from Tristan Henry. Um, so they did cause problems, um, but it was a game where sort of Forge did end up with the better with most of the possession 60% they had more of the shots 15 to 8 um, but it just took them a while to really really break them down it was a really good goal from um, Kyle Becker in the end getting wide and cutting in uh, finishing from a near impossible angle yeah I saw the highlight of that goal and uh, it was it was I did not expect it uh, from Kyle Becker. I mean, we've seen him score from some ridiculous angles. He's known for an Olympico himself, but uh, still quite an audacious effort from the captain. But uh, afterwards, I saw some more chances, and it seemed like Ottawa were slowly growing into the game. It felt like Forge were once again allowing a team to grow into it. And then came in the 87th minute that penalty call. Um, I saw the replay again and, you know, it, it did hit the hand of Manjakar James. I guess you could call it in an unnatural position. To me, it looked like he was just blocking his face from being shot at at point blank. Did you think it was a, a, the correct decision to call a penalty on that and to give him a yellow card? Uh, it was, I, I, I kind of think so, because his hand, as much as, he wasn't really looking, that was the problem. And his hand was up just a little bit away from his head. It wasn't like it was in front of his face. 
Uh, it just seemed like he was a little bit all over the place um, and lost flight of the ball um, and where it was coming from. So uh, it, it, while it may seem a little bit harsh, I think, I mean, we've we've bashed a little bit the referees' abilities uh, this year, but I think they got that one kind of right personally. Fair enough, fair enough. Obviously, uh, <laughs> especially with the rules, you know, as they are in this day and age, I think a lot can go up into interpretation. Um, and the important thing in the moment is what the ref sees, right? And again, mm. a lot of people will say, well, this is why we need VAR. Why don't we have VAR? Yeah. The ref can go to the sideline, look at it again, maybe see and then confirm. Um, I think, you know, that's uh, a uh, point I agree with. I think it's a, it's something that we could definitely benefit from in the league but yeah. uh yeah Ali Bassett took the penalty uh, a pretty well-placed penalty uh, at the very end and then it went uh straight into the penalty shootout and I gotta say <laughs> as penalty shootouts go this one wasn't the most convincing of penalty shootouts no it didn't, didn't seem like anyone wanted to anyone wanted to win after like you say Ali Bassett converted well in sort of game time the penalty to draw it level it was just it was just uh it was just poor like there was it seemed the pressure got to everyone and um uh, i forget now who took the second penalty um for noah jensen uh his one almost saved as well it could have been the first six could have all been missed um then they got to it and uh yeah it was very um i mean a 3-2 win after six penalties and zach verhoven's when you have to score after Jordan Hamilton missed and just blasted it, I mean, it was it was way over. Um, yeah, very, felt like very we got, disappointing. Yeah, it felt like we got to all types of missed penalties. We had a <laughs> yeah. couple clip the outside of the post, clip the inside of the post, and go out. We saw one get skied. We saw a few get just calmly saved by mm. Tristan Henry. It felt like we saw all types of ways not to hit a penalty uh but in the end we finally <laughs> had a victor in forge fc um but yeah i think overall it was uh an entertaining match i guess uh especially with the penalty shootout uh but mm-hmm. i very much felt like forge could have taken it by the scruff of their neck and just struggled a little bit um to 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 do that but uh moving on to our second game uh this was an all mls affair here between uh Toronto FC and CF Montreal. Uh this final score was 2-1 in an upset victory for Montreal in the Canadian Classic, the first of the two that we're going to have this week. Uh goal scored for Montreal by Brau Guillard in the 31st 35th minutes, uh, Chinoso 04 in the 39th minutes, and then Lorenzo Insigne got one back right before half in the 44th minutes, but there were no goals in the second half though. Lots of talking points, especially during the game, away from the pitch, and mm-hmm. after the game, on the pitch. But let's talk about the game itself. It seemed like, from what I saw in the first half, Toronto were slow out of the gates, and Montreal were starting to pick up confidence quickly. It seems like at BMO Field in recent hit- history, they actually don't seem all that nervous to play there, like the house of arrival and stuff like that. It feels like they can actually, you know, especially now that they have had a pretty decent run in MLS after that terrible start, it seemed like they picked up that confidence quickly. And uh, 
yeah, the the first goal off a, a dangerous counterattack. Mike, what did you think about Toronto's defense off of that uh, uh, failed free kick that led to the counterattack? Yeah, they they showed their sort of inabilities at the moment to react quickly to 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 deal with what was happening there and then in front of them. They they're they're a step slower than everyone they come up against um, at the moment, and the way Hernan Lasada's got. See if Montreal um, playing, they're going to be they're going to attack quickly. They're going to be full of pace getting forward. And we saw the first goal with Braguiard getting there, like they had numbers forward. <laughs> and as the uh, uh, as the first shot was saved, um, and the sort of following movements of players just before Braguiard scored, there were players around that could have reacted, but they're all sort of stopping, waiting for a free kick or waiting to see if a referee is going to make a decision and they just aren't reacting as quickly um we're missing a couple of play obviously michael bradley not there uh, matt hedges um uh, not there but this is a problem you're going to see with um toronto where you lose two starters and your your team does drop off quite a lot more yeah i mean it's one of the things that i think was the most notable was the long list of injuries that toronto Faced, I mean, like not to mention that they got a major injury in the game as well when uh, Coelho went off injured in the first half. Yeah. But yeah, just looking at the at the at the list here, they were missing Matt Hedges, like you said, Shane O'Neill, Christian Gutierrez, uh, Michael Bradley, Jonathan Osorio, Victor Vasquez, and Jordan Perusa uh, as the forward option. And uh, you could tell that Toronto were a bit thin across. They started uh, Aime Mabika. And his and his first start for Toronto at yeah. center back, um, and it was a bit again. It's hard for a young center back to come in at a team that is sort of in disarray, not only with injuries but recent results haven't been going their way. There's been a lot of tension between the fans and the supporters and the club. So not the nicest environment, and immediately inside thirty. Inside 40 minutes, basically, he was already a uh, part of a team that was going 2-0 down. And uh, yeah, it, it seemed like uh, Toronto were were just struggling to control the match, dominate the match. You know, in the second half, they kind of grew into it a bit more, but it still wasn't enough to bring the game back and bring it 2-2, give the fans something to cheer for. Give a little bit more suspense, I guess, to the game instead of petered out to a two-one. What did you think about that second half and the performances from both teams, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I, I caught the uh, caught highlights of the second half mostly. I was watching the first, and they just it just didn't seem like uh, Toronto knew how to get into this. They have they have their way of playing. It wasn't working to start the game. See so if Montreal got comfortable. Uh, they took the lead, got comfortable, um, and saw it out. Um, there does there seems to be a lack of cohesion um amongst the um Toronto um players. There's I mean we you can do you could debate as long as you want, probably on an MLS podcast about how this Toronto side uh, roster's been built with getting Bernadeschi and Insigne in, they seem to want to do their own thing very much. Um but Bradley wants them to play high pressing. Uh, with a lot of energy, but they've got a very aging squad, uh, and some of them can't do that. Um, and then you're bringing in young players um, uh, like Coelho um, into this side that they're sort of just being thrown in and hoping they can provide some energy. Um, it's a, it just it's, they haven't, they just don't seem to know what they are 
where they're going or what they want to be um or at least they do but everyone's got different ideas about how to do it <laughs> yeah and especially when you consider where toronto fc were last year it feels like they're going through the same issues as they were and from what i've heard from other toronto fc fans is that they were promised that things would change in the summer there would be you know, uh, better replacements, better um, scouting, like acquisitions into the squad, and it would be like a refresh. Uh, and it, it feels like it didn't. And it feels like they're going through it again, having to try to force aging players to play, quote unquote, the young man's game, and then putting young players, throwing them on and expecting them to do well in not the most ideal of situations. So... I think it was a deserved loss from Toronto. Yeah. Um, and I guess we have to talk about the ugly scenes that were going on uh, during the game and after the game. I guess we'll start with the uh, the brawl that happened that occurred when some um, Toronto fans apparently went into the Montreal fan supporter section after allegedly the Montreal fans were also antagonizing the Toronto fans. There's a lot of, you know hearsay going on about what started what but what is definitely certain is that there was uh, a brawl physical violence i saw some of the videos it was not pretty Uh, and you never want to see that at a game no matter how you know fierce the rivalry is you never Mm -hmm. want it to cost uh, a human life in some chance in some cases that we've seen uh, across the world and the globe um and then you know at the uh at the end of the game we also saw uh, a, a ugly confrontation between Mark Anthony K with a fan. The fan was what I can assume. I didn't see, hear the video was hurling insults mm. at him, and uh, Mark Anthony K was getting heated. He was dragged away, and I thought that was going to be the end of the confrontation. And then you see this fan, clearly out of their right mind, just chuck a megaphone in the general direction <laughs> of Mark Anthony K, which just you know it just makes you wonder what is going on. It, at this club what were your thoughts about these kind of behind the scenes um just drama that was going on throughout this match yeah i mean those the, the fans fighting shows the frustration that these fans are feeling in the worst possible way and no point condone um what they're doing the concern like you say with neither of us were there in the stadium watching this firsthand but the video obviously there was unconfirmed reports that there weren't really security there separating and sorting this out this fight seemed to be allowed to continue to go on i'm not sure how long it took night security staff or police to come and um to come and break that up um we've seen fans when they get frustrated shouting at the players the crowd will boo the crowd will shout and curse their players if they don't feel like they're performing well and on one hand, you can see that maybe this does mean a lot to Mark Anthony Kay and he really wants to improve this. Um, but he's really I don't think he I don't think he's helped himself going towards the fans. Um maybe he especially alone, if that's what he's done, maybe he should have the team need to um I think it's really highlighted how the team don't seem to be on the same page. Uh, they see they need to respond to this as a group where it's, it seems like individuals now are thinking right I need to speak up I want to make a difference it's 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 concerning and we you, no matter um no matter what state something gets to you should never be throwing anything on the pitch either that's just uh, ter- terrible um to see um 
I guess we should now obviously Montreal have now banned um away fans coming to the stadium on the weekend now, which from the it's the minority ruining it for the majority, isn't it? As uh, as so so often happens, but it seems to be the right the, the the only decision they could make going into this weekend. I think. Yeah, yeah, no, I was not surprised when the official club statement from Montreal said that no Toronto fans were going to be allowed into the stadium. I mean, they don't want to have any any chance of any redemption or revenge going on and and escalating into a greater and even greater issue. But yeah, I felt like, you know, you were right with Mark Anthony K. Apparently he was only one of the few players who allegedly even went out to clap the fans and the supporter sections. A bunch of players just walked straight down. And obviously, you know, after a bad performance, you want to show your respect to your fans for seeing through a bad performance. So there are just divides all over the shop at Toronto. That FC. highlights I mean, it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be a uh, interesting to see how their season continues and whether uh, Bob Bradley will be at the helm for much longer. Yeah. But uh, moving away from uh, the second match to uh, a more lively third match, which was the game at uh, uh, York United, uh, where York United faced the Vancouver Whitecaps and lost 4-1 on the night. Um, The goals were uh, for Vancouver were an own goal from Elijah Adekugbe in the 64th minute, then a fortuitous goal, I would say, from Simon Betcher in the 76th, then Levante Johnson making his uh, first-team debut, got his first goal for Vancouver Whitecaps in the 80th minute, uh, before uh, Richie for... York got a uh, consolation goal in the 90th minute and in a flurry of three goals in four minutes, we got a penalty at the very end and the 92nd penalty where Julian Gressel, who just came on a, a little bit prior, came and dispatched a very cool, calm, collected penalty. And, you know, you're looking at the score at halftime. It was nil nil. I don't think anyone expected five goals in the second half, especially how the first half went. What were your thoughts on the first half, especially with York playing pretty well against MLS opposition? Yeah, I was uh, I was really impressed with York. I mean, we got they they got to kick off the game with four defenders and actually two centre backs for a change. There wasn't they they actually had a defence, um, but sadly Roger Thompson got injured um, <laughs> like quite early on in the first half. So Sumar. Sumaru um, went back into defence and you know, another centre back playing defence, but I thought he did really well um, once he once he had to uh, adapt to that new position, and um, they 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 made it hard for um, Vancouver. They like the Whitecaps, obviously the 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 MLS side. They didn't make too many changes from um, from a usual MLS lineup. It was a strong side that went out there, um, and they 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 made it difficult. Um, there wasn't too many clear-cut chances. Uh, I didn't feel like in that first half um, for Vancouver. They were getting plenty of shots, um, but most of these were sort of range, even wide over, or relatively comfortably dealt with at times um, by the York United goalkeeper. And York weathered that storm. They started to build out from the back quite well. They started to like grow into the game as that first half went on. Um, and they they made... 
possibly two of the better chances um, for um, De Rosario um, up front there. He got a, had a header um, followed up by, um, which is well saved, um, followed up by getting in behind the defence and getting a volley away, but it was just a little bit too wide of the goal and um, shot, shot over and wide. But they started to, you started to think, well, nil, nil, yeah, the white caps, you, we started, Phil Sartini's sent a big team out there. They, they decent team to go and get this win and uh, uh, some nerves settling in amongst the side um, but they did end up getting that chance and it was incredibly fortuitous and really really hard luck on Elijah Adekupe for that first goal yeah and it, it, very, it felt very much like Lady Luck bailed out Vanny Sartini and the Vancouver mm. Whitecaps in this for like like you said the very unlucky own goal there by Elijah Adekupe then Followed up just 12 minutes later by another kind of, I mean, it was a, a mistake, obviously, from Giansopoulos and a very mm. uncharacteristic one because he had been having a great game so far. He had made some pretty decent stops, um, especially as Vancouver were starting to throw more and more bodies forward. Yeah, And yeah, that second goal, he just made the wrong decision trying to sweep, didn't have a good headed clearance outside of his box and it was you know easy as it can as easy as it can be for seven better as he just lobbed it way over from about 25 yards and yeah i just felt i honestly felt hard uh i felt like york were hard done by with uh the final scoreline because i don't think it reflected um their their play i think they defended really well i think they they deserve to have at least a closer scoreline um, you know, I don't think 4-1 is an accurate description of the game. But the what we did see was a spectacular uh third goal from Vancouver and a fourth goal, uh, or a first goal, technically fourth goal of the night by York United. Um Levante Johnson came on and just shimmied his way, danced his way through the fence in a in a tantalizing run and just did a, a very calm finish past Giansopoulos. What did you make about uh, Levante Johnson's debut and his contribution to the match? I'm excited by him. Um, uh, Christian Lachome was um, traded away to DC United. They haven't. They, uh, Vancouver didn't go out and just instantly replace him with a new signing because they're ML, uh, Vancouver Whitecaps too. Uh, have been performing very well in um, MLS Next Pro, especially in that sort of attacking positions. And Johnson provides something which they do lack a little bit in some ways of uh, with Gould and Vite. Um, they're not players that are doing full of bags of pace that want to get in behind players and get get in behind the defence and run at them and support the striker that way. It's a different kind of option, um, which Sartini's seen. And he, he said before, like partway through the week uh, leading up to this game, that Johnson was someone who he's, he's trained with the first team in pre-season um, and he was someone who was going to who was going to feature, and I, I think he just adds something that's that they don't have. Um, uh, obviously, they're performing very well in MLS, and Gould and Vite um, performing particularly well. Caicedo's coming in uh, and back from injury, but yeah, Johnson, if he continues progressing, is a great, really good electric sort of um, attacking midfielder sort of forward that can yeah change change the way that the uh, Whitecaps could attack. Yeah, and it definitely made um, a stark improvement, I think, on how the way the Whitecaps played. And it's always great to see Canadian talent doing that. 
ain't a Canadian competition. Exactly. Who thunk? Um, <laughs> especially with how surprising um, the lineup was that came out. Like you said, it was a very strong lineup with some notable omissions. Primarily, you know, Karifa Yao. He was brought in in the off season. Um, originally, you know, he, he played in the CPL. He was from Montreal. And he, I think, was slated to become an important part, an important yeah. piece for Vancouver in this season, especially with so many games. And I think many people were expecting him to start this match, you know, as a Canadian himself. This is an opportunity for him to show what, uh, what he can bring as, an, as an ex- a center back who has played against York in his experience before. And I think myself included, many people were were surprised as well with Thomas Hassel. I felt like really the Canadian Championship was going to be the, the only opportunity we were going to see Thomas Hassel start, bar any you know injuries that might occur to Yohei mm-hmm. Takaoka. And again, it's it, it was Takaoka who started in the match, so it felt a little weird that. Whitecaps just started the necessary three Canadians and didn't, you know, try to uh, put some more of their Canadian talent into the match because not only do they have good Canadian talent off the bench like Yao and Hassel, but they have really good talent that's up and coming uh, in their second team in MLS Next Pro. So it was good that we at least got to see somebody like Levante Johnson, who's coming from MLS uh, Next Pro to come into the match and and change the game and score a goal for his troubles. And yeah, overall, I mean, it was um, a great performance from him and a much m- more improved performance from the Vancouver Whitecaps. Um, York did get their consolation goal through Ricky. Um, it was a thumping goal uh, mm-hmm. in, a, at the end, uh, really well taken. Before Simon Betcher was brought down, in the box in one of I would say one of the few dubious penalty calls we got <laughs> in this Canadian championship um uh round. What did you make about the the foul on Simon Betcher? Was it a pen or was it not a pen? Um I think I think it was. Um but when um I think the I c I don't I can't remember who was commentating. Um he uh, mentioned that uh, Simon Betcher has been uh, brought down. I don't know if it was so much brought down as maybe just tapped or clipped maybe a little bit going into the box. It was incredibly soft. Um, and some referees may not have given it. They may have felt he just went down far, far too easily. So, um, but if he has taken that little clip, as much as it is soft, it's technically in the rules uh, of penalties. So it's... Uh, just a, it's a frustrating one, but it's, it yeah, ultimately meant nothing. Um, but talking about Re- Richie's goal, uh, like you say, that was really important for him to get something as really like a, a bonus for the team. But personally, himself, um, with Mobabuli injured um, at the moment and not refeaturing, they need someone to step up in that sort of area. Um, and if he can, uh, if he can be spurred on by that goal uh, going into the weekend, um, I'm sure that York United will very much appreciate that <laughs> yeah it feels like york united needs someone else to step up because mm-hmm. since mobabuli's fantastic free kick goal that got them the win against ottawa they've lost two on the bounce conceding five and only scoring one uh yeah. granted one of them was against vancouver whitecaps which is an mls side yeah, but exactly, yeah. 
it it was still it was still you know the the performance did not merit that kind of scoreline, but it's still something that I'm sure York fans uh, are going to want to see improvement on from the team. And you know, with all the background noise still ongoing, it's going to be interesting to see how York bounce back on the weekend. And, uh, and then. To... Sorry, go back to what you're saying about Yao and Hassel left um, left on the bench um, for this one. And no disrespect to York United, but this is probably the on paper easiest game that Vancouver will face. So yeah. when they're choosing not to use um, these two players, it does throw up a little bit of concern. I know you want to keep playing maybe your goalkeeper and the centre-back partnerships playing well and regularly and building that relationship as a, as a trio, but... I mean, Yao was completely burnt for pace where a game I saw them play in North Texas in MLS. Um, so it does it does raise a few eyebrows. I think, like you're saying, he's he was considered at the beginning of the year. I mean, you look on their sort of roster and it's possibly the third or fourth choice centre back. And if he's not being used in this game, when when do you risk when do you risk integrating him? Um, I, I don't see I don't see where at the moment it needs a big a big improvement. Um, in MLS Next Pro to really to fight for minutes in the uh, in the first team. Yeah, yeah, and and you can tell that, you know, with Vancouver Whitecaps' their performance in the first half, it just felt like they didn't really gel all that well. They didn't have that chemistry because it was such a changed lineup, and a lot of these players have been mostly playing bit part roles. You know, only yeah. stepping in if there was an injury or something like that. And I think these are the opportunities to try to get some of these players some minutes so they can be more integrated. They can be sharper. And so that, you know, when you have, let's say an emergency, a player has to come off injured or something. And you can bring somebody on that, you know, is up to speed is, you know, is sharp and you know, can do the job and can fill that hole nicely. And I don't know if Vanny Sartini is doing that necessarily right now. And I think this was a missed opportunity. But regardless, they did get the win, and now they're going to the semifinals, facing the winner of the Pacific TSS Rovers, which was the last match, uh, and the last match we're going to talk about, where Pacific beat the minnows of TSS Rovers, destroying the dream, ending the fairy tale, <laughs> um, with uh, two goals, one goal by Josh Hurd in the 66th, 66th minute, it was a penalty, and then an 87th minute uh, goal by Reed, uh, Adonija Reed, a very well taken goal. Um, mm. In the end, it seemed a bit more comfortable uh, than it might have been on paper. Um, I think personally, the Rovers did really well in the first half. They were very, very defensively sound. They weren't really allowing Pacific to build. They had a really strong kind of mid block and they were pressing very, very intelligently. They were really good at man marking specific danger men players like Amen Salouf and Manny Aparicio. And, you know, I actually made the trip over there, uh, made a whole week out of it really with my partner. It was a lovely trip and um, got to go to Starlight Stadium and see this match. And I was thoroughly impressed uh, by not only the team, but by the traveling supporters. I mean, there was maybe about 150, 200 fans, and they yeah. were rivaling the the Lakeside Boys and and sound <laughs> in the stadium. And it was incredible. I um, mean, you know, the stadium is incredible. The atmosphere was incredible. The night itself was incredible. Uh, but, you know, I guess for those who wanted to see the underdog win, 
maybe wasn't the result you wanted, but you know, you still have to tip your hat towards Will Cromack, the head coach, and what he's done, and TSS Rovers in general to be able to bring a small <clears throat> semi-pro side to these heights to the quarterfinal of the Canadian Championship. Mike, what did you think about the first half, how Rovers defended, how they played, and your initial thoughts on just the whole occasion? Yeah, they were really impressive. Um, defensively and going into midfield, um, they they were comfortable on the ball far more than you'd imagine. I mean, anyone who hasn't seen TSS Rovers, not from the BC area, they were playing fantastic build-up play that was in, they were inviting Pacific to come and press them. Um, they were confident on the ball. They never looked particularly flustered uh, and they were breaking those lines to get in behind the press and try and build attacks. And it was incredibly well done for um, like, like we keep repeating for uh, for a semi-professional side. Um, Sandu and goal incredible. I mean, he's taking on the forwards and the box hill, um, back hill turns and things like that and building out play. They look so comfortable going into this and they seem so so set in their own belief in their abilities as well as the way they'd been set up and it was it was really exciting to see i mean the the only issues they main issues they had and which both teams i mean pacific have been experiencing other than that trip to ottawa is once you get towards that final third like we can break into midfield there's great build-up play into the midfield but where does it go from there and we we uh, it was the it was the same thing for both sides though i think um they just um just went over to get there. Looking back at the stats, uh, and TS Rovers had two shot, uh, three shots, one on target. Pacific FC ten shots, two on target. So for both sides, defending well made it difficult in those final thirds. But the build-up play was was good to start with. Um, but I really did think that TSS Rovers should have tested um, the the goalkeeper a little bit more from range because he looked incredibly nervous um, as he uh, got his debut uh, basket there at the back. Yeah, he he had a bit of a little uh, of a shaky start, and I mean, yeah. you know, technically, uh, Rovers were the first team to put the ball into the back of the net, though it was called off because apparently, when the when Basket fumbled the ball, the ball went out of bounds. Though I have seen some vo- photos of different angles, <laughs> and it seemed like the ball didn't fully go over, and there were some good questions about, you know, if this was on the other side of the post. Would you have called it a goal? And there's mm. a lot of debate about that, especially since that could have completely changed the game for the Rovers. And I think in that first half, they deserved maybe something like that. A stroke of luck definitely goes a long way against when you, all of the odds are stacked against you. Mm. Um, but yeah, you were mentioning the kind of the lack of bite in the attack for both teams. And I wanted to talk about for Pacific, Easton Ongaro once again, it had a very, very quiet night. Um, I was on the side where Pacific were attacking, and Eason Nangaro was easily head and shoulders about some of the players that were marking mm-hmm. him, but it felt like he just couldn't unmark himself. He couldn't find that space, make that run to go away from his defender. I felt like every time he touched the ball, it was either like off to the side, away from danger, outside of the box and it felt like he really couldn't get involved with the attack and it seems like it's been a, sort of a slow start from Ongaro after a lot of people 
We're expecting him to come into the side and really score the goals that Pacific need to challenge Forge for that title and, you know, try to go all the way in the Canadian Championship. What did you make about Ethan Ongaro's night, Mike? Yeah, they've they've gone all in on him as well, haven't they? There's he's the the main striker. Um, if you look through, I mean, um, Adelaide Reed, Adelaide Reed came on and got the goal. Um, Lay Tom, uh, um, more of a winger usually. I would have like from his time like uh, uh, Miami FC. Gennaro Daniels is there as well, young player again. Um, they those two offer you a little bit more when it when it comes to movement. Uh, East Longara has really struggled, like you say, to to create space for himself. Um, he's he's not getting into positions where he can break away from a defender, make a run, and receive a ball and come and come onto the ball. He's always waiting. He's getting into the box. He's waiting for a delivery. He's getting in near the box, waiting for a ball to feet. He's he's not getting to those points where he's running like running across the line, getting in front of the defender and attacking across or attacking a pass that's uh, through ball. And and he's going to have to learn to do that if he's going to become successful with, with Pacific FC because teams will sit back when he's at FC Edmonton and he's been banging in goals. The other, the other sides were the sides that were dominating possession. He's now on a team that dominates. Defenders will sit back. He's got to be cleverer um, with finding space and he's got to improve his movement. He looks slow. He looks hard. He looks like he's finding it hard to move his big body around. Um, and he's not winning balls in the air. Um, for a guy who's head and shoulders above everyone else, he's not being a threat in the air. Um, so at the moment, it's really hard for his side to um, to try and get the best out of him. And yeah, something needs something really does need to change quick for him. Yeah, I don't know what what you know James Merriman can do without having to change his play style and cater directly mm-hmm. to him to get Isangaro into the game. But yeah, like you said, something has to give. But for not sure luckily if, for Pacific, yeah. So I'm not sure if when Pierre Lamoth gets uh, fit and uh, getting a more attacking midfielder up there because Manny Aparicio just isn't a number ten that plays off the striker. He was picking up the ball in different areas of the pitch he moves everywhere and that isolates Ongaro and I think Ongaro needs someone up there near him um, who's going to be distracting one of the other defenders um, and providing different bits of space with some other movement Um, I I just think they need someone up there who's going to be threatening the edge of the box a little bit more um, than what they've got at the moment yeah, no, Manny Aparicio definitely is more of a marauder than a playmaker yeah. in the way that he, he plays. Um, but yeah, uh, luckily for Pacific, it was the case where they just had quality off the bench, you know, bringing in the likes of Adonija Reed, Brazao, and Kekuta Mane. Um, for those, obviously, in BC, they know of Kekuta Mane uh, after his stints in, in uh, Vancouver Whitecaps earlier. And it felt like when they brought on these players with these fresh legs, it felt like Rovers instinctively started to sit back more. Mm. You started to see tired legs, tired minds. They started to play a bit more frantically. They weren't playing that comfortable football, like you said, that they were playing in the first half. And then it ultimately came to a head on that penalty call, which I would say may be the most contentious of the penalty <laughs> calls that we saw. 
uh, in this round of the Canadian Championship. I personally think, you know, call me a little bit biased because I was there sort of with the Rovers fans, uh, <laughs> but uh, it seemed a little soft. And I don't think Josh Hurt covered himself with glory afterwards on the interview where he said that he just felt a touch. And he said, when you feel a touch, you just have to go down. Kind of not the best look when you're trying to sell that it was a penalty. I mean, ultimately, the game is the game. You know, you you can exploit the rules in the way you do, the way that you can play, whichever way you want. Ultimately, if it's, that's the, how the game is played these days. But yeah, it felt like a soft penalty to me. Mike, what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, again, I, yeah. Um, not wanting to criticize Joshua. He's an important captain and a great really good winger in CPL. Um, but he is one of the, he is one of a large number of players who will go down easily. Uh, he feels that he throws his body in, he tries to get into places where he he's quite easily knocked off balance and may uh, he may go down a little bit easy at times. It might be ever uh, might be said. So if he's going to get a touch, it it's uh, again, it's probably one of these other calls to get VAR in so you can get a better look at him and from the limited replays from um where i was watching obviously you get the, the the image the video uh the camera from across the other side of the pitch looking over there's the there's the suggestion that he gets a little clip um uh from the tss rovers defender's foot uh, and he just feels that little bit and goes down whether it's enough to actually go down i i'm not sure so yeah it's uh I, it's definitely one that another one that could go either way uh, depending on the referee yeah, yeah. I mean, it's always tough, especially in an environment like that. You make a split decision, mm -hmm. a split second decision for the ref. You can't always blame the ref for you know if it looks like a foul, you got to call it. It's a foul, you know. Exactly. But uh, eventually, you know, after all the things settled, uh, Josh Hurd won it. He uh, took it uh, and uh, very well taken, straight down the middle, um, and then immediately TSS Rovers got that injection of energy and Eric Edwardson almost scored just mm. maybe seconds after the goal went in. But uh, eventually um, it, it was not to be for the Rovers as uh, the second goal came around. Uh, Adonija Reed um, scored. Brazao, I think, uh, had a very, very good appearance for Pacific. Yeah. Just brought that extra quality, extra bit of energy, just... Uh, paraded down that right side after taking off Josh Hurd and it was a brilliant cross for Adonisha Reed who I don't know CSS Rovers were putting so many men forward I think that mm. he was all alone in the box and it was simple as you like just tapping it in to the back it's of the what, net um, it's what a player yeah. with a little bit of um, acceleration can do he he saw the opportunity and he 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 can go from a standing position to to then get past the defender quickly which Ongaro can't and no matter how I mean he's a very short <laughs> striker uh, Reed, uh, very short forward but if you've got the space to be if you've got the pace to be able to quickly break away from a defender you're going to move into move into open positions and he, he took advantage of that really well yeah and speaking of shorter strikers I think there was uh, you know, I don't want to speak ill of Will Cromack because absolutely fantastic coach, absolutely fantastic person. Um, I think he has been an inspiration throughout this run. But I do feel like 
they were a bit too late in bringing on substitutions. We really didn't see substitutions until the 75th, 80th minute to try to claw back the game. Um, you know, Connor McMillan, fantastic player for Rovers, got that nasty head cut oh, in the yeah. first half with uh, Amir Didich. Both of them had to be wrapped up. And I think Didich had to go twice because it kept leaking yeah. through. It was, oh, yeah, it did not that. look great. Um, yeah, no, I'm glad they're both okay. But Carter McMillan had to go up against these giants like Didich and Gigel, and it just felt like they didn't want to change their plan of attack to mm. make sure that their defense was as stable as it could be. And obviously, when you are playing a team that is, you know, on paper bigger than you, supposedly better than you, quicker than you, you want to make sure that you're defensively stable as your foundation. But else, but at the same time, you know, you you don't want to just lay down there and not fight. And I felt like um, Rovers, they have some good players off the bench. Masood Habibullah, the brother of Cameron Habibullah, who plays for the Whitecaps in WFC2. He's a bit of a player that is a bit of, of a bigger player than Connor, who could have been up there, who could have challenged uh, Didich and Giga and... Um, I feel like it was a bit of a missed opportunity there for Rovers to try to get one back, especially when it was still only 1-0 and, um, and kind of meet Pacific halfway with fresh legs and renewed energy. But, I mean, in the end, it was still an admirable showing from TSS yeah. Rovers. The fans afterwards kept cheering and cheering and cheering long after the players left the field, long after, you know, all of the... Pacific fans left the stands. You know, I think they had to get basically ushered out by security because even yeah, at the press like conference, work, please come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> even at the press conference, you know, you could still hear them chanting in the background, and it's you know, it's incredible the story that they represent, the story that they've told about you know what what football really is about at its core, which is just playing these games, showing up showing what quality you have not focusing on things like you know like money sponsorships these corporations that you see at the top top level in like europe and other leagues it was just about you know grit digging down deep and showing that you can play football too and that's i think that's a one of the incredible things about the TSS Rovers and the, and what we got treated to this year in the Canadian Championship. And I'm, I'm a little sad that we're not going to see them anymore. But uh, it does, you know, now set up a very, very tasty semifinal between uh, Pacific FC and Vancouver Whitecaps at Starlight Stadium. Will we see another miracle <laughs> at Starlight as we saw previously uh, a couple of years back? You never know. Um, but, uh, yeah, now, uh, the Canadian championship, there are only four teams left. Like I said, Pacific FC face Vancouver Whitecaps and Forge FC get another chance at revenge against CF Montreal in the semifinal. Last time they faced, they went out agonizingly in a penalty <laughs> shootout. So we'll see a lot of storylines still being written in the Canadian championship as we will see who will be crowned the Kings of the North. But that is it for the uh, roundup here. Now we're going to go into our highlights of the week. Uh, Mike, I'll let you start. What was your highlight? Or I guess, you know, like, it, no, it is a highlight. What was your highlight of the week? 
yeah mine was <clears throat> excuse me that mine was the um the whole off the field um sort of goodwill over in bc after the sights we saw the night before um in toronto um there was plenty of I mean, you you could go on twitter and, and uh, all sorts of social media and see um the supporters groups from pacific and tss communicating with each other pacific welcoming them in they're saying let's make this event together um enjoy the atmosphere together and on the once they got into the stadium cheering away um and you could you could feel the the good energy the sort of rivalry they were building up but a really friendly rivalry amongst each other um both sides willing their teams on um and it just seemed like a great really great advert for football for like for people who want to get involved in the game who can go to such a welcoming atmosphere and enjoy good quality football um so yeah real really really good highlight um following the low lights of um Toronto versus Montreal yeah i mean being there it was exactly as you said you know the tss rover supporters were there and there was a little bit of bantering between the rovers and the pacific fans but it was all in yeah. good faith it was all in good fun and yeah it was just very respectful for both from the rover side and from pacific side welcoming them in it goes to show that you can have these rivalries, you can have supporters group going against each other without it needing to escalate to exactly. violence or to, you know, unnecessary aggression and real bad blood between them. Because at the end of the game, obviously, football is a passion. Football can mm. mean so much to us. But at the end of the day, it is a game and we don't want that to come between people when there's already so many divisions in the world outside of it so yeah i, I agree it was uh, fantastic to see um these these groups coming together and showing that you can have a football game and still have it to be welcoming and exciting and and family friendly uh <laughs> though there was a strong stench of beer coming from the rover section so maybe not over there <laughs> Um, but my highlight of the week was the Levante Johnson goal. Um, I think it was very well taken. Like we said, I think it goes to show that Whitecaps can bring in Canadian talent. You know, it's another case, just like Simon Betcher before him, where they drafted in a player, they put him in MLS, MLS next pro to allow him to grow and develop in a competitive environment. Cause obviously they're not going to be ready to go straight into mm -hmm. um, MLS action and, and be at the same caliber as the rest of their teammates, but slowly they can grow. And after a year or two, then they can go and compete and prove why they deserve to be in the first team alongside the others. And I think Levante Johnson um, did spectacularly at that. I think he um, put in a great shift and hopefully we get to see more of him uh, as time goes on. I know that, you know, the depth in Vancouver Whitecaps is pretty deep now with strikers mm -hmm. and attackers and forwards, but still, you know, it's always great to be able to have, um, somebody off the bench that can come in and score and provide something different than all the other profiles that Whitecaps has in their team. So, yeah, it was just it wasn't just the goal that was very well taken, but it's what it represents for Whitecaps and Canadian football in general. It's really important as well, I think, from looking back at um, the weekend before, um, 
Vancouver played Minnesota. Minnesota were the only team to field a Canadian. Um, so when players like um, Devontae Johnson come in and make a big impact, and if they are, if if players get rewarded for this, that's what can young Canadian players need to see uh, in in um, in BC. Really, like in Montreal, they're getting the opportunity. In Toronto, they're sort of being forced into the opportunity from the lack of options but yeah. in, in Vancouver there's they've got so much depth like you say and these Canadian players are having to compete and having to work hard but it's, we need to see them rewarded um, and Levante Johnson's done a great job at really showing how 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 promising the future looks definitely definitely hopefully we can see more wonder mm-hmm. from him in the future but speaking of the future now we're going to close out the show with a little bit of a look ahead at the CPL games this weekend, starting with, uh, at the time of recording, today's Friday, tomorrow's games, uh, which is uh, Forge FC starts us off as they host Valor FC at 1 p.m. Pacific and 4 p.m. Eastern. Um, it's going to be a game of Forge, who had just played a midweek game that had to go the full 90 had to go to penalties against the more refreshed Valor side. What do you think is going to happen in this game, Mike? Um, The way Forge are playing, I just think they'll see out another win. Um, They were tested a lot more than I think they have at times sort of uh, physically um, by Atletico during the week. Uh, who came at them with a lot of pace and they forced they, they they forced them to work quite hard to get back in the game and it took them a while to get that goal but the depth they've got and the sort of injury concerns Valor have and still working their way back in and creating those opportunities in the final third Forge don't need many Valor will, will need um, to keep creating chances and it just it just seems the way it's going, doesn't it? At the moment with Forge, they'll keep plodding away third gear and grind out results. Yeah, I also think, you know, Bar Valor can pull out the same heroics that they did last season and upsetting Forge at their home ground. I think it'll be another straightforward victory for Forge, but you never know, especially with some of the players that Valor has. They have a couple game changers now. Mm-hmm. Um, they might be able to pull something out of the bag. But then uh, the second match of the day is Cavalry as they host Halifax Wanderers uh, at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. And both of these teams did not play in the midweek. Both of them are rested, have the full week. And uh, we're hoping, I think, both of us and <laughs> all fans across the league, that it will not end, to end in a draw. Please, please don't end in another draw. Apparently, that's the only thing these two teams can get so far. Uh, what are you hoping, aside from not a draw, to see in this uh, in this matchup between these two teams? Uh, yeah, four games, four draws for both. Uh, I, I'm hoping to see. I mean, I think you'll be the same way, Felipe. Like, I want to see more from uh, Wanderers going forward. Um, in a more of an intensive way they they're they're doing some really pretty uh build up sort of and they're moving players around but i want to i want to see them just be that little bit more aggressive in the final third and just try and get hold of the ball and try and just force teams back force teams all over the pitch as they try and cover the runners they 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 just haven't taken the game by the scruff of the neck um, as much as maybe they could have um 
in these opening games. I mean, just the three goals from four games from a side, which obviously Patrice Geyser has a very attacking philosophy. I mean, I mean, I don't know about you, but that's what that's what I'm mostly looking for. No offense to cavalry, <laughs> what the what the Wanderers can do a little bit differently. Yeah, I feel like the team just needs. It's starting to become now this kind of, I think, a toll mentally on them, where they just they're like, what else do we need to do to to get a win? We play we play so well, and they do. I really like the way that Halifax is playing. They're very fluid. Uh, and the way that they attack, the way the players kind of swap roles at times, they go in, they go out to create chances. It's they're just missing that end product, and you know that's probably the hardest part of football is is getting that end product correctly. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I think now this is going to be a challenge for Patrice Geyser to to overcome to try to to try to get, especially on the road, going to Cavalry always a tough place to go to yeah. to be able to you know muster up that quality that courage to take the game by the scruff of the neck and uh, and yeah dominate and score goals and hopefully you know regardless of whichever team does it hopefully we see a winner in this <laughs> game so we can finally break the the tie streak that that yeah. both of them. exactly um, then the third match of the weekend, one that I'm actually going to be able to go to, is Vancouver FC against Atletico Ottawa at 6.30 p.m. Pacific and 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Another late game for you people listening on the eastern side of Canada. Um, this is going to be another gay case of a team that has had a full week of rest in Vancouver versus Ottawa, who had to play in the midweek. Now, Vancouver had a very dramatic home opener, to say the least. Um, you know, they had that red card from uh, Rocco Romeo, um, the second red card of that match week. You know, we saw alleged reports that apparently they might be rescinding those bookings, you know, because both were three match suspensions. Allegedly, they might be bringing them down to two, but... Last I checked uh, before we started recording at the CPL website, it is still three matches pending an appeal. So I have no idea if the appeal has gone through or has been successful. Future Felipe here giving you a little bit of an update about the conversation we were just having. Um, It turns out that just minutes after we finished recording that the CSA has fully rescinded Ashton Morgan's red card that he got last Friday versus York meaning he will be available for today, Saturday's match against Valor, while Rocco Romeo's three-match suspension has actually been reduced to two matches, meaning he will still miss today's match against Ottawa, but Vancouver will be able to get him a little sooner than they had expected. So I just wanted to jump in and update you guys about the situation. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a big loss in Vancouver. How are they going to shift again? Are they going to put Caden Chung at right back? Who is going to come in in that midfield? Is there anybody that Afshin is trusting to be able to start the match and and play against an Ottawa side that is still is, is trying to prove something this year? I think it's going to be a very interesting matchup. Mike, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, just like echoing your foot, like they are thrown completely off balance by losing Rocket. Such a big performer at the heart of the defense there. Um, we were both uh, really impressed uh, with how uh, Ibrahim Bakare went into centre back um, when they went down to 10 men. Um, he, he performed incredibly well and really led the team. 
But if you take him out of right back and bring him in the center, which we're assuming he'll do, their only real option is Caden Chong back in uh, right back. And then all of a sudden the, the midfield is thrown into balance. Um, does Nathaniel St. Louis come back in, who was the midfielder um, who was taken off after around half an hour against Halifax because it just wasn't working. Um, so, yeah, there's plenty uh, There's plenty to uh, really work out for uh Afshengov, oh yeah, got me. Um, he's got a lot of, a couple of big decisions to make. Um, but the way they've been playing, their forward line is really clicking. Um, at the moment, which is going to be bad news for Atletico Ottawa, who who are struggling. Um, after a decent decent uh parts of that game, like we just mentioned against Forge, but I mean they're coming off the huge four-one defeat at home, aren't they, in the uh, Premier League? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how. They respond to that in this in league play against Vancouver. I do think it'll be it'll be a fun game to watch. I'm excited to go there and watch it live. And then the last game is on the Sunday, uh, as it's a bit of asymmetrical scheduling this weekend. We have only one game on Sunday. That is Pacific host York United at 3 p.m. Pacific and 6 p.m. Eastern. Pacific, obviously, both Pacific and York played uh, midweek in the championship matches. You could say that obviously one is is happier than the other uh, <laughs> at the results, and yeah, Pacific seem to now be getting some steam um, after uh, some some good results for them, and York are still trying to figure out who they really want to be in this in this league and and in this situation that they have right now um i don't know if mobabuli will be back in time mm. for this one uh if he isn't then how are you know how are york going to respond because i feel like they haven't really been the same since he's been out how is ozaze de rosario going to is he finally going to step up and and show the quality that he had last season there's a lot of question marks around york united and Mike, what do you think about this last matchup? Yeah, I think with the, I mean, Pacific had the uh, opportunity to rotate. They had the opportunity to bring in players um, during the game um, who were looking for to build minutes. And James Merriman's got a full squad to pick from, basically, uh, who are fit, fighting, and ready to go. Uh, York United on the other side. We don't know who's going to be playing in defence again. If they, um, uh, depending on the recovery from players, uh, who's going to be at the heart of that defence? Who's going to create the opportunities? Um, the only, I mean, the only, the only sort of sort of positive for York United going to Pacific is how much Pacific have struggled at home in the final third. Um, does James Merriman continue with Eastern Ongaro? Uh, does Gennaro Daniels come in? Let's say. It, <laughs> they they need to work out what they're doing at home um on this sort of small pitch to make space to for, for their strikers to score and for their forward players to score. Um but yeah, it'll be it'll be difficult for York. They are, like you say, going through quite a lot at the moment on and off the field, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I think it's gonna be um uh a match that is going to be something to prove, I think, from York. I think mm-hmm. that they were going to want to prove that they are still in it despite these losses. And, you know, they can still go against somebody like Pacific who are in fine form and prove that they're not going to sit 
at the bottom of the table or near the bottom of the table for this season. So I think it's going to be a big match for them, uh, mm-hmm. a big match overall for uh, for the CPL. And and yeah, that's 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 all four games that we're going to preview. And that's all that we have for this special episode this week, rounding up the Canadian Championship. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to follow us once again on Twitter so that you can give us your thoughts on each of the week's episodes. And if you have any interesting facts, stats, or questions, please feel free to leave them in the replies and we'll read them, talk about them, and give you a shout out on the next show. But until next time, I'm Felipe Vallejo. And I'm Mike Rice. And this has been Coast to Coast FC, signing out.